0: gray hair and a gray beard that come down here. (laughs) But he had long hair that was a yellowish gray. A lot of people make fun of me, but I don't care. I know it's there. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the SA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 100. A blood-sucking chupacabra is on the loose. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. uh uh uh-uh. uh-uh. Go! No! Run! Run! Hello, my name is Kyle, and welcome to Into the Netherverse. Where we talk about anything and everything, mostly about cryptozoology and science and paranormal and extraterrestrial. But, like I said, whatever fancies my my curiosity for the day. The podcast is broken down into three main subjects. One is a real science article that I discuss. Two is a weird event that's happened. Maybe there's a third article that I couldn't resist talking about, but. Anyways, um, today's topic is going to be about Bigfoot sightings. I know that I could probably make a YouTube video of this and with video snippets here and there, but there, there are a thousand of those fuckers out there, and I don't really like doing videos. I like editing videos and producing stuff, but I don't necessarily like posting them because they kind of have been watered down over the years. And with the annoying robot voices and everything in those videos, as soon as I click on it, I instantly am turned off. and like, this is bullshit. I hate it. Get the fuck out of here. But my thoughts on it are, if you leave things in the show notes and links to the videos for people to see and judge themselves, it's just as effective as the video. But I also like talking and telling stories and discussing things. And I'm not 100% know-it-all. If I'm wrong, I I want to be known if I'm wrong so I can... Grow off that and make my podcast better in the future. I do know what I'm talking about on a certain sense with some of the things here that I discussed, but like I said, I want to be able to encourage the listeners to correct me if I'm wrong or if there's anything that's out of place. But, anyways, um, a little bit about myself. I grew up in Oregon for most of my life, I lived in North Carolina for a few years. I've been all over the world, I was in the military for six years, so I have of course been to the Middle East, I've been to Southeastern Europe, I've been to the Northeastern part of Europe, I've been to a lot of cool places and a lot of places that I prefer not to go back to ever again, to tell you the truth, but enough about me, let's go ahead and jump right in. Alright, this article is from Live Science. Weird Z-shaped faults could trigger a large earthquake on California's San Andreas Fault. Now, for some of you here who don't know, there is a fault in the southern part of California near Los Angeles. Practically on Los Angeles. It's called the San Andreas Fault. And it's the focal point for a lot of big earthquakes. um, A lot of movies that you see, like uh, what was that movie with uh, The Rock? Um... I can't think of it at the top of my head right now, but uh, it's about when the earthquake finally happens, the big one. They call it the big one. It's supposed to be bigger, if not bigger than 10.0 on the Richter scale. And it theoretically could separate Los Angeles as an island. But geologists um, have also speculated that in about something like 40 or 50 million years, Los Angeles could be all the way up to where we're at in Oregon, up by the coastline of Coos Bay Area. Um... And we're obviously not going to be around long enough to see that, obviously. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of earthquakes happening and tremors happening in this area a lot more recently than before. And I'll have the link in the show notes here, but let's continue with the article here. Um, This is from LiveScience.com. It's impossible to know when the San Andreas Fault will erupt with its next big earthquake, a trembler that could impact the nearly 13 million people who live in the Los Angeles metro area. But it appears that two other nearby faults might have some say in the matter. The San Andreas Fault is part of a giant Z of faults. The top of the Z consists of the Ridgecrest Fault, the middle is the Garlock Fault, and the bottom is the southern part of the the most famous San Andreas Fault. If the top of the Z Ridge Crest Fault were to have a really big earthquake, at least a magnitude 7.5, that could trigger an earthquake on the middle of the Z Garlock Fault, which in turn could cause a massive earthquake along the bottom of the Z San Andreas, and new study finds. So looking at the map here, it looks like the Garlock Fault goes southwest to northeast. The San Andreas Fault uh, intersects at that point, going from northwest to southeast, and then the other fault looks like it's going towards the ocean um the thing with it is that it, it it's a nasty looking fault line the more you look at it here with this backward z shape and the thing is, is that it, it's a lot of moving parts in that little section of land and i always would think that if that earthquake were to happen and break up that island it would turn into a crumbling nasty quagmire of just destruction and not on the level of that god-awful movie 2020 or 2012 sorry well 2020 is just a shit year as it is too we all know that with the coronavirus and everything that's going on right now but enough of that um that was a god-awful movie 2012 it was just horrible um it didn't fairly represent what could happen with where did they get all that water? Where where would all that water come from to to sink the? Whole, it's like it's like a modern day water world, except less entertaining. But anyways, um, going back to that, it, with my limited knowledge of geology, it would make sense if those fault lines were to collapse and cause an earthquake that it would destroy all that whole entire section of Los Angeles, and quite possibly more than millions of people would perish in a blink of an eye or soon after. These successive earthquakes wouldn't necessarily happen all at once, but over a period of time, perhaps even decades, as stress builds up and gets transferred from one fault to the next, said study co-author Ross Stein, a geophysicist and the founder and CEO of Timbler Incorporated, a company that models and assesses earthquake risks. So I guess I'm a little bit wrong. I guess the earthquakes wouldn't be all of a sudden. It would be more of a period of decades, but That big one could take out a lot of people and a lot of businesses and cause quite a bit of damage. Possibly, maybe in the trillions, if, you know, because Hollywood in that area is in that area. And, you know, a lot of those big tech companies in that area, too, along with being north towards San Francisco, it, it, it would destroy a lot of our infrastructure, as much as I hate California. Ross Stein continues by saying, What we are describing isn't likely, and it's a kind of earthquake chain reaction. Stein told Life Science, but we've con- learned over the last four months is chain reactions really do happen in nature, and if we aren't prepared, as we were with COVID, there we go with COVID. They have enormous consequences. I like how uh, they throw in preparation plans now. Remember COVID? Like, I mean, it's it's coming to a point of ridiculousness now, but it is what it is, and I can't change it. So. Anyways, moving on, the article continues. There are so many faults and earthquakes in California because that's where the Pacific plate grinds against the North American tectonic plate. However, the San Andreas Fault, which snakes roughly 800 miles or 1,287 kilometers for you non-American metric type folks, from the Salton Sea to the Mendocino Coast, is notorious because it caused the deadliest earthquake in the nation's history. 1906, a magnitude 7.0, or I'm sorry, 7.8 San Francisco earthquake killed an estimated 3,000 people. And I've seen videos of that, uh, old black photographs. And I can tell you that the destruction of that town was just, it leveled everything. There was nothing left after the earthquake. And they had fires going on for days, weeks, sometimes months, I do believe. But anyways, the new analysis of this possible earthquake chain reaction suggests that another large San Andreas rumbler near L.A. is now 3.5 to 5 times more likely than scientists previously thought thanks to the Ridgecrest quakes. The Garlock fault is relatively quiet. It hasn't released a significant earthquake in 500 years, but if the garlic fault ruptures within 30 miles or 45 kilometers of its junction with the San Andreas Fault, it could raise the likelihood of a San Andreas quake to the southeast, the so-called Mojave section, by a factor of about 150. Stein and study co-author Shinji Toda, a professor of natural disaster research who specializes in seismology at Tohoku University in Japan wrote on the i blog, sorry, Trembler blog. We thus estimate the net chance of a large San Andreas earthquake in the next 12 months to be 1.15 percent, or one chance in 87. They wrote in the post, such an earthquake could be catastrophic, where a magnitude 7.0. I keep on saying 7.0. I mean 7.8 earthquake to hit the Southern San Andreas Fault. It could cause more than 1,800 deaths, 50,000 injuries, and $200 billion in damage and other losses to a 2008 report from the U.S. Geological Survey. It was the 2019 Ridgecrest earthquakes that led to this investigation, Stein said. Ridgecrest has had four big earthquakes and many smaller ones over the past two years. There was one that was a 6.4 and 7.1 in July of 2019 and a 5.8 and 5.5 in June of 2020. Ridgecrest was a humbling experience, Stein told Life Science. I think anybody would have told you that given how well mapped California is, that any fault that can release a 7.1 would have been known, and it was unknown. See there, folks? Not everything is known in the world, and scientists can't know everything. And these things will happen, but it's great to know that they're happening now, and we can record them so we can prepare for the future. Although, n- you can't 100% prepare for a disaster but you can take this knowledge and move forward with it. The Ridgecrest area, it turns out, is no stranger to big earthquakes. Over the past 150 years, the area within 90 miles or 150 kilometers of the fall has experienced four earthquakes that registered a magnitude 7 or higher. However, the area's big earthquakes don't happen like clockwork, so it's challenging to know when the next powerful one might hit, Stein noted. So to forecast what the next massive earthquake might strike, Stein and Toda developed a new forecasting method To be clear, a forecast is not the same as a prediction because it's impossible to predict earthquakes. Instead, forecasts look at a probability or the chance that an earthquake of a certain magnitude might happen in a given place and time period. And the rest of the article goes over the prediction models and the scientific data. I'll post those in the show notes. But the last thing about the article I want to talk about is what should Californians do? Um... There's another way of looking at the 1.15% chance that the San Andreas Fault will rupture and trigger the big one, and it's this. There's a 98.85% chance that it won't happen. So there's a very good chance that the big one won't happen, but that doesn't mean don't worry fully. You have to understand that these things are going to happen, very slim as it is, but they will happen. So... Make sure your disaster kits are ready to go and you have an extra strategy when the big one does happen if you manage to escape the the earthquake. Um, that's all I really can say other than that for this article. Now moving on to the next article. Australia acknowledges potential survival of thylacines. Now this article is from November of 2019 and... There are a whole lot of articles when it comes to cryptozoology that are up to date every day, you know, 24-7. So some of these articles I pull up are going to be as new as possible, but they are still hold relevance to today. Um, for the ones that don't know, the thylacine is also known as the Tasmanian tiger, and people who are interested in the cryptozoology world will know what that creature looks like. It was a marsupial that lived in the... I want to say it obviously lived in Australia and Tasmania, but I do want to say it lived in the New Zealand sector as well. Um, And I can't believe I called New Zealand a sector. It's its own little country. If they heard me talking like that, they'd beat the shit out of me. But anyways, um, it went extinct due to hunting and uh, control measures for livestock. And going back to what I was talking about, there is a video that's very famous of a zoo that held this creature, and it had a big a pretty long jaw with a good set of teeth. And I remember watching that when I was 12 or 13 on discovery channel or history channel back when it wasn't crazy, like ancient aliens and everything Hitler 24 seven, but it scared the crap out of me. It was an eerie footage. I think it's because it was being black and white film, but it scared me, but it also fascinated me because it also brought, it brought to my knowledge the awareness of, extinction and what society of man can do to other species across the world and I do fish but that doesn't mean that I'm going to go out there and take every fish from the river or lake or ocean that I see but I guess my point is, is that it really did bring to the table the fact that creatures can't go extinct and once they're gone they're gone forever but going back to the article this is from the round table like i said from november 2019 the video footage is haunting a strange dog cat hybrid creature anxiously paces back and forth along the wire cage of its prison in hobart zoo tasmania yawning with its massive jaws a stiff black striped tail sticks out between behind it in a straight bony line its black eyes gaze out as at its home in the tasmanian bush Stripes run down its haunches, the year is 1933, and the animal inside the cage is Benjamin, a thylacine, otherwise known as the Tasmanian tiger, and he is the last known thylacine to exist in captivity. Three years later, on September 7th, 1936, Benjamin died from exposure after being locked out of his artificial burrow and left to the extreme Tasmanian weather. Because the Australian government had only started conservation efforts for the thylacine two months earlier, they did not announce the news of the animal's death, believing that more could be easily captured. A Tasmanian tiger was shot and photographed in the wild in 1938, and scat, or shit, vocalizations, and footprints were documented up until the 1960s. But in 1986, the Tasmanian tiger was declared extinct by the government of Tasmania after no confirmed sightings for 50 years, until now. In a press release from the Tasmania Department of Primary Industries, Parks, Water, and Environment, Eight sightings of the thylacine have been reported since 2016, with two in 2019 alone. The Tasmanian tiger, a member of the thylacinus genus family of marsupials, was the only species of its genus to survive to modern times. The animal evolved over 2 million years ago with similarities to the dog family, and once roamed the mainland, Australia, New Guinea, and the island of Tasmania. My bad, it was not in New Zealand as I once saw it. Tasmania, which is now currently a state of Australia. The tigers were carnivorous nocturnals, slept in dens during the day, and had pouches for their young, and ate wombats, wallabies, and small rodents. They weighed between 40 to 70 pounds. They closely resembled a fox and were some called, sometimes called the Tasmanian wolf. In a June 2018 article published in The New Yorker by Brooke Jarvis, the thylacines power as a cult symbol for the ruggedness of Tasmania before white colonization is evident. Jarvis describes the landfall of the first white man in Tasmania, Dutchman Abel Tasman, in 1642, who wrote of the footing of wild beasts having claws like a tiger, like the screams of the Tasmanian devil and the hybrid appearance of the platypus that explorers encountered in 1803. The Tasmanian tiger became associated with the obscene and malicious wild of Tasmania. White generals wrote to London of a creature savage, cowardly, and treacherous, badly formed, very primitive, and unproportioned experiment of nature. The Tasmanian tiger was thus somehow deemed as both ridiculous and vicious. By the 1830s, the animal was competing with dingoes for prey in southern Australia and thought to have been eradicated before the white settlements. Despite being featured prominently in cave paintings from mainland Aboriginal dreamtime culture, soon after the thylacine was blamed in Tasmania for attacking sheep and livestock. And even more interesting, an excerpt from the Business Insider in 2019 of that same month the most recent report about tasmanian tiger was in july a man said he found a tiger footprint in the mountains near hobart tasmania two years before that a couple saw an animal that they said they were 100 percent was a tasmanian tiger near Corinna, tasmania the animal had a stiff and firm tail that was thick at the base and stripes down its back the report read it was the size of a large kelpie bigger than a fox smaller than a german shepherd hang on i gotta do a side note here what is a kelpie A Kelpie or a water Kelpie is a shape-shifting water spirit inhabiting the locks and pools of Scotland. Okay, that's not what it is. Okay, oh, here it is. Uh, The Australian Kelpie is a dog breed. Alright. So apparently, the Tasmanian Tiger is a shape-shifting dog that is Scottish and Australian at the same time. Very interesting. Anyways, um... Going back to that article, another sighting occurred in February 2018 in western Tasmania about 120 miles north of Hobart. That report described a large cat-like creature with a black stripe markings on the back of its body. Now, looking at the pictures of the Tasmanian tiger and looking at a stuffed animal version of one, and or a taxidermied one, it does have, it does look, I can see where it's gotten the... Tiger moniker, but it does look like a. It has a body. It looks like it has the body of a small like Jack Russell Terrier, and I can see where the cat-like features come from. But to me, it looks like a Jack Russell Terrier with tiger stripes on it. But you know, teach his own on this one. The Australian government and the Tasmanian state government have kept the reporters anonymous. But as Nick Mooney, a wildlife biologist, stated, it all proved terribly. It all proved terribly poor value. Hundreds and hundreds of times people have gone to look for a setting report has happened and there has been nothing. Well, when you have a creature that's almost on the brink of extinction, if not extinct, it's not going to want to be seen all the time. So you can't just go out there and like, oh, I'm going to go see Tasmanian tiger. It's like me going out there and saying Bigfoot exists. Well, I do believe Bigfoot exists, but it's like me going to the same spot in Red Bluff, California, where... Patterson Gimlin filmed the damn Bigfoot and be like he's gonna show up again it's not gonna happen people go out there all the time like it's some sort of pilgrimage but you're not gonna see the creature you're looking for because it it's smarter than you and it's always going to be smarter than you when you hunt an animal or a a species to near extinction they're going to adapt to want they're going to adapt to hide let's just put it that way they're going to want to not be found and you forcing them into a corner to try to find them makes them even more violent and deadly i would not suspect that there have been attacks by the tasman tiger on a hunter or a person who was looking for them or a shepherd who was wondering why his sheep was killed by a so-called Tasmanian tiger it just brings home to the fact that maybe you shouldn't fuck with these things not because save the planet at all it's the matter of the fact is that these things can be dangerous and why would you want to put your life in danger to look for a creature it comes on your property and you see it in your field you take a picture of it that's cool but why why spend your whole life in devotion hunting it down but then again at the same time i can understand why people want to track these things down i guess what i'm getting about is people who hunt it down and want to kill it i i apologize i i i get upset When people talk about I want to go find this rare creature and I want to bring it back, and nine times out of ten, they want to kill it and bring it back. And I mean, if these things still exist, which I kind of on the fence, I'm I actually lean over the fence into the realm of that these creatures still exist. I wouldn't want to hunt down to kill it. I'd want to preserve it as long as possible. I think it's cool that these creatures could still be around. And I'm on their side. I am rooting for their survival but Mooney is also skeptical at the same time we believe 100% that it is a thylacine my first impression was a flash of excitement which sobered on analysis he told Gizmodo optimistically he said there was a one in three chance animal was a Tasmanian tiger so I'd rather take a 33% chance than a 0% chance any of the any day of the week and I know you guys would too anyways that's it for those two articles next segment we're going to move on to Bigfoot sightings now before we move on to the sightings there is a little segment i wanted to read from the bigfoot research organization or the bfro i don't necessarily believe everything they talk about but they do have a breakdown of three different types of sightings uh class a class b and class c class a reports involve clear sightings and circumstances where min- misinterpretation or misidentification of other animals can be ruled out with greater confidence for example, there are several footprint cases that are very well documented. These are considered Class A reports. Class B, incidences were incidents where a possible Sasquatch was observed at a greater distance or in poor lighting conditions than incidents in any other circumstance that did not afford a clear view of the subject are considered Class B reports. For example, credible reports where nothing was seen, but distinct and characteristic, characteristic sounds of Sasquatches were heard all, all heard are always considered Class B reports and never Class A, even in the most compelling sound-only cases. So what they're trying to say is if you get a recording of Bigfoot but no video or visual aspect of it, it is a Class B. It's not considered verifiable proof. Even though this creature is not real, it's nice to know that they have a step system for what is verifiable and what is not. Um, class C, most second-handed reports and any 3rd hand reports are stories with untraceable sources are considered Class C because of the high potential for inaccuracy. So it's like the old fisherman stories. You know, I caught this fish that was the size of a small whale, but in reality it was a a fucking minnow. But that's what a Class C is. It's somebody saying something about Bigfoot, that they've seen him, or they smelled him, but they don't have any physical evidence of the creature that was sighted. The history of Bigfoot is very well documented, and it goes to the native american legends and their stories of it as a creature that roamed the woods like a mythical or a mystical beast that roamed the woods of where they lived and most of the stories uh, originate in southwestern portion of british columbia in, you know washington oregon idaho northern california they had they have many names for it the most common name is sasquatch But most people call it Bigfoot. Um, Here's an excerpt from OregonEncyclopedia.org. Bigfoot is a large and mysterious humanoid creature purported to inhabit the wild and forested areas of Oregon on the west coast of North America. Bigfoot is also known as Sasquatch. And there is a bunch of First Nation people's language of how they pronounce it, and I don't want to butcher it. So I'm just going to go either between Bigfoot and Sasquatch. Uh, Most people who believe in Bigfoot's existence or claim to have seen one assert that they are hair-covered bipeds with ape-like features up to 8 feet tall. I've heard stories that they're up to 15 feet tall, but that's like wild, crazy out there stories. But the majority of stories I've heard are it's a 7 to 9 foot tall creature. They'll leave correspondingly large footprints. They are generally characterized as non-aggressive animals whose shyness and human-like intelligence make them elusive and thus rarely seen. Though some wilderness travelers claim to have smelled their stench or heard their screams and whistles. Now, I have a story to tell you guys. I never saw the creature. And I know this is going to be a Class C event because I didn't record the screams. But in I went camping a few weeks ago in the Hepner area of Oregon that's up for people who don't know that's up in the northeastern sector of Oregon um, in Grant County now there's been reports before in the past of screeches and weird noises in that area and there have been sightings of Bigfoot and people t- claiming that they've seen Bigfoot the thing is though is that there's coyotes and wolves that live in that area too and my wife woke up in the middle of the night and we were there for three nights and we heard weird things every night but we've always attributed it to coyotes, the first and second night. Now, third night, we woke up, and it was a horrific screeching sound. But it wasn't like a metallic screeching sound. It was like a... If you go on YouTube and look up Bigfoot screeching, it was... It, it sounded like a pack of coyotes, but it was too... It just didn't sound like them either. It, sounded, it resembled them, but it sounded like somebody or something was mimicking their cries and their howls and their barks. But without physical or audio evidence, I can't prove my story. All I can say is that I heard something out in the woods that was very strange. A few a few physical anthropologists, such as Jeff Meldrum at Idaho State University and Grover Krantz at Washington State University espoused the biological reality of Bigfoot based on their examination of the 1967 film footage of purported Bigfoot taken in Northern Cal- Northern California's Klamath Mountains or on their mic, morphological analysis of footprints that that film they're talking about is about the roger patterson bob gimlin film from 1967 over in bluff creek california and every and their mother ought to know the video i'm talking about the bigfoot walking across the dry creek bed and turning its head now there that is one of the videos i'll be talking about in this segment but I just want to bring up the point that there's more to that story than meets the eye, and there are some rumblings from the community now that R- Roger Patterson or Bob Gimlin were there for a more nefarious means. Um, back to where I was saying, some of which exhibit dermal ridges as those found in the 1980s by a U.S. Forest Service employee in the Blue Mountains of northeastern Oregon. Most scientists, however, remain skeptics and dismiss the phenomenon. As the product of the mistaken identification of known animals or elaborate elaborate hoaxes with prints cleverly planted to deceive, over time stories about Bigfoot have entered an oral tradition and become part of regional folklore. The historical record of Bigfoot in Oregon country begins in 1904 with sightings of a hairy wild man by settlers of Sixes River near area in the Coast Range. And Sixes River is about is in the very southeastern I'm sorry southwestern quadrant of Oregon, right on the coastline area. Um, Let's see here. Similar accounts with miners and hunters followed in the later decades. In 1924, miners on Mount St. Helens claimed to have been attacked by giant apes, an incident widely reported in the Oregon press. Local Native Americans used this event to discuss publicly their own knowledge of Tsiatko, hirsute, wild Indians of in the woods. Traditions first documented in 1865 by ethnographer. George Gibbs. Now, the nineteen twenty four incident, if I'm not mistaken, is the they call it Ape Canyon, I do believe, and that's where the prospectors were up in their cabin and in the middle of the night they had rocks and stuff thrown at their uh at their shack. Now, the rest of the article I'll post in the notes for you to read. I don't wanna to go too much further into it. I want to go over the meat and potatoes of my actual podcast, and that's the videos. So, moving on. So, there are the top ten sightings. I know it's from from OutsideOnline.com. Now, these videos I've seen before. Now, the purpose of this is I'm not a Bigfoot hunter professionally. I know it's kind of funny when you say professionally because you're dealing with a crypto zoological creature. I've seen plenty of movies in my life. And I've seen plenty of video effects in said movies and home videos and all sorts of stuff. Um, I'm not a professional video grapher either. I do recreational ma- recreationally make videos and audio formats, but I do know enough that I can take a look at something and say that it might be a fake or it might be real. Now, I don't have the technology or means to like look at a video and dissect it and be like that's definitely a fake or that's definitely real, but I like to think that I have a better eye when I look at things, especially growing up going from cathode ray tube tvs to lcd led tvs and seeing 80s style 3d graphics compared to today's 3d graphics and realizing that you know a lot has changed over the years and my generation witnessed that change so i feel like i can sense when something's a little bit off or when it's real and that's the point of these videos is that this podcast isn't going to be the only bigfoot podcast i'm going to go over other stories or independent accounts and stuff but I wanted to just to kick this off by talking about obscure videos and stuff and people think that these are real and I want to look at them myself again and give a side-by-side analysis of what I think. Now the first video obviously is going to be the Roger Patterson Bob Gimlin film from 1967 in Bluff Creek California. For decades, people around the world have been fascinated with the legend of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, or whatever you choose to call it. Sightings of a furry, upright biped and reports of beastly footprints have been reported from as far field as the Himalayas. Although no definitive proof exists, the the often questionable reports continue adding up. Outside plunged in the deep, dark corners of this subculture to compile the most famous, perhaps most convincing Bigfoot photos ever captured. Here's the evidence. Is Bigfoot real? You be the judge. Now, I'm going to take this as a point to say... I'm going to judge these videos, but I want you to look at the show notes of these links and judge for yourself as well. And I want to have a friendly conversation about it if you guys leave notes or emails. And I'll leave my email and Twitter handle at the end of the episode. We can talk about it. All right. Arguably the most famous and influential Bigfoot footage is a 1967 film shot by Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin in Northern California. The Bigfoot walk it depicts has been parodied by many, but never truly replicated. Even with this enhanced image, it's hard to tell if it's a person in a gorilla suit or the real deal. Now, I've seen this video a billion times, and I can tell you that that walk looks real. It's it's not saying that it looks real because I know what a Bigfoot how a Bigfoot walks, but it doesn't look like it's forced it looks like it's a natural gait. like it doesn't look like the creature is walking across the, r- the dry creek bed and stutter stepping or anything like that to make itself look like it's making big steps it looks like it's a very natural gait. um I do know two or three times in the video he'll look back at the camera um people have said that he looks back at the camera because he is quizzically looking at What is filming him now? There's no sound to this video because it was an old eight millimeter film, I do believe. I think it was eight millimeter, but it was a soundless video, and nothing was recorded on audio. It's just straight film, and that's it. Now, I have been reading a lot of articles on Facebook, and I know Facebook isn't a trustworthy source, but I'm talking about Facebook groups, and they're posting their articles, and they're back and forth. They're now accusing Bob Gimlin of going after Bigfoot to kill him. Now, the story goes that the Bigfoot, there was a family that lives out in Bluff Creek of Bigfoot. And Bob Gimlin before had seen them. And they went back to go under the guise to capture it with footage. But he told a couple people along the way that he was intending to shoot and kill the Bigfoot. And the speculation being is that the reason why Bigfoot's looking back at him is because he's firing his gun in his general direction. Now, the opponents of this argument will say, well, how come you couldn't see any dust trails or anything from bullets hitting in the ground? Well, look at the footage. It's literally almost 50 years old. It's over 50 years old, to tell you the truth. The thing is, is that the quality of film back in the day wasn't that great. So, it's also very light in exposure. So, I've shot guns and hit dirt with bullets fired from guns. And you do see dust plumes and stuff, but I don't see anything that's a plume in the video of dust, and I'm not—you know—there's a lot of sticks and branches there. It look, you know, if a bullet hit a branch, you'd see some branches fly up in the air from the concussion of the blast of the bullet hitting the of hitting the area. But I don't see any of that either. I, my only conclusion is either Bigfoot's looking back at him because it's wondering what is filming him or what's looking at him, or it heard the gunshots because was, he was firing him in the air. And the film is very jittery too because it, if you watch the whole film, it shows him like moving up to the creature and like trying to follow it. But it's up to you to believe if he was out there hunting it or if they caught it by chance. The next video is of a young uh, youth group was camping in the Marble Mountain Wilderness when leader Jim Mills noticed a strange-looking creature skulking along a ridge nearby. He filmed it for nearly seven minutes, making the somewhat grainy footage the longest video of any alleged Bigfoot sighting. Now, I, I'm going to post this video too, but I'm also going to watch it here as well. Um, about If you get to the... Let's say here, the minute 34 marker and that's when they, the whole thing starts. I mean, everybody's talking about, but about, I'm sorry, the 140-minute marker. Let's see here. Actually, I, I am hugely mistaken. I thought it was the 130 marker. My apologies. It's about the, the 210 marker is when everybody starts looking up at the range. And you can see in the video at the 210 marker and beyond, they're talking about what's up in the mountain and people are pointing fingers and stuff, and you see the... Yep, and here we see it. They're finally turning the camera over the mountain because people who film these things are so annoying because they actually don't film anything. They just sit there looking at the person before the... Not the subject at hand, and that's what I find most annoying. And they sit there on the mountain with it fully zoomed back for, like, literally a whole fucking minute, and then they finally zoom in, and you get to the point, and it's zoomed in to the max on this VHS tape recording camera, and you finally see it walking, and... You got to take a look at the film here and you got to like, compare the size of that figure to some of the artifacts near like a rock or a tree. And you got to think that creature is fucking massive. And it looks to be six feet or taller. It could be seven or eight or nine feet taller. But the thing also I'm looking at in the video too is that it's looks like a dude just walking, sauntering downhill, going uphill, then downhill down the mountain slope. But... It looks like a backpacker, but the fact of the matter is that the video is so far away the subject is so far away that it is just easily crossing the ridge of that mountain going down smoothly and taking large steps as well. But some of the video too, when it's walking, looks like it's also stutter stepping too. So I, I can't, it's hard to tell if it's a real if it's the real deal or if it's just somebody on top of the mountain that saw a large group of people at the other side in the valley and just wanted to fuck with them. But it is a good video and it's of decent quality and it makes me wonder if it truly is what it is. The next one is more of a picture than a video. It's a British explorer Eric Earl Shipton snapped this photo while trekking through the Himalayas in 1951, alleging that the footprint belonged to a yeti. In 2014, Christie's auction house in London capitalized on the worldwide interest in Bigfoot and sold the original photo for nearly $5,000. Now, there have been stories of a bipedal creature in the Himalayas. It's legends told for hundreds of years, but it became very popular in the 50s and on of a creature that roams the, the Himalayas. Now, there is a Himalayan black bear, and there are snow leopards in the Himalayas. I've seen the foothills of the Himalayas when I was in Kyrgyzstan, and I can tell you those mountains are huge. So it's quite possible there is something of unknown out there in those mountains. Now when I look at this photograph, it's a black and white photograph, but I'm only seeing four toes. Now the cat structures I've seen of a Yeti or Bigfoot have had five toes. Now a bear has five toes as well or five digits on its paw. And so do most cat most cat like creatures. But this is not a cat creature. This is not this looks a like a footprint from a bipedal creature, but the thing is that I only see four toes. Now, even up in those cold places, the snow does melt and refreeze, so maybe the, the, that that middle toe and that ring toe melded together and, into one footprint, but the thing into one digit instead of two separate ones, but the thing is, is that it's hard to tell if that's really a Yeti footprint or if it's just somebody who saw a strange footprint. It's strange indeed, and it could be of a cryptic creature, but... Like I said, people report that Yeti has a five-toed footprint, so it's kind of eerie to think that there's something else besides the Yeti up in those mountains, but, you know, that's the reason why I included it in this, uh, this podcast. The next one is called the Independence Day film, and no, it's not of the one with Will Smith and Bill Pullman and Randy Quaid flying his jet up into a fucking UFO and blowing it up. I mean, wonderful movie, but... Good God, I saw the sequel, and I just, I stopped watching all of them. I I used to watch them every Independence Day, but I I don't watch them anymore because it ruined the whole thing for me because it was just such a garbage fucking film. Anyways, this remarkably clear clear video shows an alleged adult Bigfoot walking through the woods with a cub in tow. The filmmaker and exact location are unknown, and many skeptics claim that there is a telling, visible seam of a gorilla suit. Now, I, this is the first video that I'm going to talk about that brought, big skeptic alarm in my head because I don't really think that this video is real. I think it's fake. It looks very staged. If you look at the video, the camera shakes around a lot, which is, of course, with everybody who has a found footage film or anybody who records anything, you you never see the whole thing. You always see the, the tail end of the, of the incident. It, the whole video is a minute and 53 seconds long and you sit there and you're watching this guy silently, no breathing whatsoever. He just sits there and watches this creature just all of a sudden pop out from behind a rock and just start walking and you see the baby Bigfoot in the mother's arms, or it could be a father, who knows, in the uh, the adult Bigfoot's arms. And the thing that throws me off is the Bigfoot continues looking at the camera the whole entire time, like quick glances left, you know, quick glances back at the camera, like it's on cue or something. That's what gets me is because it just popped up out of the rock from behind a rock, like nobody's business, and then just continued walking. And then you see the the tail end of the video, it keeps on looking back at the camera. This video, like I said, I'm not a Bigfoot expert, I am not a video expert either, but reasonable deduction would lead me to believe that this video is fake. The next video also brings up the skeptic alarm as well. In October 2012, a group of siblings hiking in Provo Canyon in Utah thought they've spotted a bear in the woods and started filming. When the creature stood up on two legs, the hikers ran, abruptly ending the shaky video. A year later, the siblings launched a Kickstarter campaign to investigate other Bigfoot sightings. Now, playing the video, it the camera immediately turns on, like it's just like it, like instead of turning the camera on and running out to go see it, they just immediately turn the camera on and you can't see much behind sitting in the fall because the trees the leaves are turning brown and a lot of leaves have fallen down but there is a heavy smattering of trees in the area you can see a black shape moving in the background but you can't see any distinguishable features now they sit there and watch it and then all of a sudden it stands up and that's when the camera shuts off and they run away so there it goes it stands up but you can't tell if it's facing them or if it's run- or if it's back is turned to him as well. They keep on running and then the camera just cuts out, just cuts out. Now they could have just edited that film and then put it in the, uh, on YouTube. But the thing is, is that I can't tell through the video what it is. And there are black bears that live in Utah and i'm not denouncing their story but it does raise some con- consideration and concerns of what it possibly could be now the next one was very eerie for me because it's a game hunters camera in the wilds of pennsylvania and looking at this photo it really it, a- it asks a lot more questions than it really answers And you may have seen it before. In 2007, Hunter Rick Jacobs captured some of the most famous Bigfoot images to date with a camera mounted to a tree in Pennsylvania's Allegheny National Forest. His camera also captured clear photos of bear cubs, offering evidence that the unidentified animal was not ursine, meaning it was a bear. But skeptics believe that the animal is just a bear sick with mange. Now, there are black bears that live in Pennsylvania. And I have seen animals with mange, and I have seen animals without mange. And... Most of the photos I've seen of bears with mange, they pretty much have no fur left on them and they look pretty wickedly scary. This photo looks like there is something of, there is a lot of fur on this creature. Now, I'm not a biologist by any means either, but it would lead me to believe that if it's suffering from mange, wouldn't you see a lot more patches of skin versus fur? But like I said, when, when this kind of attention is brought to the, a government body, they tend to shut it up. I mean, look at Roswell, you know, 1947. You know, they said, oh, an alien ship did crash. And then not even 24 hours later, they reversed their decision and said it was a weather balloon. And they stuck to that weather balloon story on every fucking UFO incident ever. So it's hard to believe the government when they say things like this. Now, a bear does have long back legs and short front front legs. But looking at this photo, this creature has way too its proportion of legs is way too long on the rear versus the front. It, it, it doesn't, it looks like this creature is meant to stand up versus crawling all fours. Now bears can go on their hind legs, but they stutter walk and they can only go a few steps and in videos I've seen and, and what I've seen in real life at zoos and stuff and in the wild, but a Bigfoot, I mean, this looks like a bipedal creature to me and that is why it, bothers me when when a government agency says that's not what you think it is now this is an article from the denver post in 2007 from october 31st halloween be uh ridgeway pennsylvania it's furry and walks on all fours beyond that about the only thing certain about the critter photographed by a hunter's camera is that some people have gotten the notion it could be a sasquatch or bigfoot Others say it's just a bear with bad skin infection. Rick Jacobs says he got the pictures from a camera with the automatic trigger that he fastened to a tree in Allegheny National Forest about 115 miles northeast of Pittsburgh, hoping to photograph deer. We couldn't figure out what they were, Jacobs said of the images. I've been hunting for years, and I've never seen anything like this. He contacted the BFRO, or Bigfoot Research Organization, which pursues reports of a legendary two-legged creature that some people believe lives in the parts of the U.S. and Canada. It appears to be a primate-like creature. In my opinion, it appears to be a juvenile Sasquatch, said Paul Mejeda of the Bigfoot group. However, the Pennsylvania Game Commission has a more conventional opinion. Agency spokesman uh, Jerry Feaser said, Conservation officers routinely trap bears to be tagged and often see animals that look like this Photos Seems like a deflection to me. There is no question that... It is a bear with a severe case of mange, are told the Bradford Era. Like I said back looking at the photo, that bear looks like it has mostly a lot of fur left on it. And like I said, the photos of bears and mange that I've seen either have hair on them or have no hair. I don't see very many patches of skin, if any at all. But of course the video is, the, the, the photo is grainy. But I'm going to err on the side of caution here and say that that creature in that photo is not a bear. Um... That's pretty much it for that article. The next one that goes up is the same area, well, the same area of Pennsylvania in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, were baffled by a footprint measuring 17.75 inches found near a residential home in 1980. According to the Associated Press, the footprint coincided with reports of strange noises and a strong but unusual odor in the area. Now, I gotta tell you, Class C reports will state that, you know, Class C reports to, uh, will say they smell something strange or they heard strange noises but there's no verifiable proof but then you have class b reports of like this well class a reports of a footprint now looking at this footprint it doesn't look like it's a singular footprint it looks like there's several footprints on top of each other of the same pattern but smaller so it looks like it's a could be a adult and juvenile bigfoot but i'll let you judge because it's a black and white photo and like i said i don't i'm not here to prove anything i'm here just to pass along the information i've seen and I, it's okay if I make judgments on my own, but my judgment being is that it's not. That looks like something that is ape-like. Now, I did some digging on this article here too, and let's see here. The man that gained atten- the man that gained this kind of attention, was I got this article from May twenty-six, two thousand seven, of the Tribune Democrat, and. 85-year-old Sam Sherry's name might not now appear on the internet and in yellow magazine and newspaper clippings and a smattering of books about strange phenomenon. Well, that wouldn't have happened if he didn't have that strange encounter. So, this gentleman here was a steel worker in the mills. He was drafted in World War II, fought, during, fought the Japanese on the islands. Uh, took a lot of shrapnel, got injured, had a lot of surgery when he came home, and then he developed colon cancer in the 60s and had half his large intestine removed. So, this guy is a living walking legend of his own right, but he did say he went fishing one time, um, in 1987, and he said that when he went out fishing, he met Bigfoot, and now he, I don't think the man's alive anymore, because this article's from, from 2007, but he Even when he couldn't walk very well anymore, he would go to the sites during the daytime and leave food for them and try to see if he can gather more evidence of them. He believes they're out there and he has evidence of them out there with the footprint casts and stuff like that. But he is trying to see if he can find more evidence of the creature so it can be brought to people's attention. But like I said, this is more of a story of a guy who has casts of Bigfoot footprints but no necessary physical evidence of like a picture of one or anything like that but I'm not saying the footprint I'm what I'm saying is that the footprints are legitimate enough but I want to see a picture of Bigfoot and I want to see it you know moving around and it's a real one not some dude in a suit um moving on in 1994 former U.S. Forest Patrolman Paul Freeman claimed he saw a family of Bigfoots in Washington's Blue Mountains. The video is shaking grainy, but it has been deemed the real deal by so-called Bigfoot experts. I click on the link to find the video, and it says the video is unavailable. I'm, while I'm still talking to you here, I'm going to go on YouTube and look for the 1994 Blue Mountain Bigfoot, and see if I can find that family of Bigfoot, and if I can't, then I can't really talk about it. Let's see here. There we go. And it's going to be a paranormal review of somebody's channel. Okay, let's see here. Alright, so I've gotten to the meat and potatoes of the video now, and I did see what the family of Bigfoots that he was talking about and it's a grainy color footage and I'm not saying it's fake um, it does look it, do, it does look like it's a real a real Bigfoot or what you consider a real Bigfoot but I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this video is authentic It doesn't look staged to me it looks like it's the real deal all right moving on to the southeastern part of the United States in the Bayou region of Mississippi Mississippi resident Josh Highcliffe captured video of this potential Bigfoot while hunting on his property in 2013. Afraid to go back to the woods, he posted the YouTube, he posted the footage on YouTube asking for help to identify the animal or for a prankster to come forward. Well, I pulled the video on that one and I got to tell you, that one is, that one is pretty freaky because it shows, it shows the guy hiding behind, it's in the bayou, so you see a lot of these plants and these trees and, and it's in this wetlands, and then he's filming this creature whose back is turned to him with black fur. He's ripping this tree trunk apart and throwing it off to the side. Now, I know bears can move stuff, the paws and stuff, can slap things over, but I don't think a bear can grab something with just its paw alone and throw it. This look It's actively throwing something in the bayou, that is tree trunks. And... We move on to the video. It's 2 minutes and 16 seconds long of him just watching this creature just rip apart this tree trunk and throw it aside. Now, the part that gets me is when the creature stands up, which is going to be right now. Yep, stands up, but doesn't face him. It As soon as the creature stands up with his back turned to the guy, just like the ones with the kids in Utah, he turns around and bolts. He just bolts. Books it, and then he stops, looks behind him, doesn't see the creature following him, and he just keeps on booking it. Now, I gotta tell you, if I'm out there hunting and I see something like that, I'm going to immediately, I'm gonna freeze. I mean, because I've never seen anything like that before. I don't think I could do anything. But if I see a stand up and it starts walking either towards me or away from me, I'm gonna book it the fuck right out of there because I, I, you don't, I don't want to be in the middle of something like that. But now, if that was a bear that bear is good with hearing. It could just track you down and just chase you down. But the fact of the matter is when it was throwing that tree trunk pieces into the middle of the bayou, it didn't look like a bear. I don't, I've ever seen a bear or heard of a bear grabbing something with its front paws, like with opposable thumbs. Cause it doesn't have opposable thumbs. Bigfoot does. And throwing it, like I would toss it to my left or my right laterally. Like I was tossing a football or something like that. That's the thing is when it, it doesn't look like a bear. I'm going to say that this video is authentic, but I'm not going to say it's real Bigfoot because like I said, anybody can hoax nowadays. So it's, I believe it's an authentic video, but I don't, I don't think, I, I can't say for certain if it's a real Bigfoot or not. Okay, the last video is of a hiker walking through the Utah hills near Provo Canyon in Utah in 2012 when he spotted a large animal in the woods. As he approached the animal, stood up on two legs and started throwing rocks at him. Supposedly a trademark behavior of the Sasquatches. Now, I had the video of this one, and this one, the guy is sitting there watching the creature, and he's breathing heavily. like It sounds like it's forced laboring of breathing. And of course, in the beginning of the video, when you watch, it's got the warning: federal law allows citizens to reproduce. It's fair rights, whatever. But this guy is—if this film was filmed in 2012, but he's using this like vintage camera to film it, and he's breathing extremely hard, like. <sighs> 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 like he's out of breath. Like, yeah, I'd be out of breath too if I ran, but the thing is, it sounds labor. Like he's forcing himself to breathe hard with this vintage camera, looking at this creature who is throwing rocks and throwing rocks and making noise. But if I'm not mistaken, if I did talk, when did that, the, the, uh, yeah, in 2012, a small group of siblings hiking in Provo Canyon. So it's kind of funny that both videos came out in 2012 One looked like the first one with the kids has him immediately turning on the camera and filming this creature that's in the thick, the thickets of trees. And you can barely see what the hell it is. And then later on, the number 10, you have this individual with this vintage camera from 1960s, or 1970s, literally breathing like he's about to die of a fucking asthma attack while filming this creature, and it's just throwing rocks. To me, in the same area of Utah, and then the the boys who filmed the first Bigfoot are wanting to get a GoFundMe campaign to find the creature out in the woods. It makes me believe that both those instances are either, they're just too well-timed. And that's the thing, is, is that I want to say that there are two outcomes to both those videos. One is that some deranged lunatic out in the fucking woods who dresses up in a fucking costume and scares the shit out of kids and some random dude who's probably got asthma. Or two, that those kids filmed that whole incident in both videos and it, they did the whole thing themselves on both videos. And that's what really pisses me off about Bigfoot hunters and people who claim they've seen Bigfoot is because it, the whole thing is, is that I want this creature to be real. I want it to exist. But the problem is that in order for it to exist, the fuckery has to stop. And that means the hoaxers to stop making these fake videos. Yeah, I don't mind making Hollywood videos and like indie films about Bigfoot, but for God's sakes, stop fucking with the common man. Stop fucking with people who really want this creature to exist because if I go out to the woods and make this footage of a Bigfoot and find out 10 years later that some dude in a fucking costume, I'm really fucking pissed and embarrassed as well because I spent 10 years of my life trying to tell you that Bigfoot fucking exists and then the only evidence I have is a video and it's fake it's got to stop and it's got to stop now and to this day it will still forever confuse me on why people want to do these kind of things anyways that's it for my podcast but before I go I wanted to get off some information like I said my name is Kyle I am aka the ferryman if you go on uh twitter it's the ferryman f-e-r-r-y-m-a-n at into the netherverse and I'm also on Anchor, but the thing is that I like about Anchor is that I can push my RSS feed to all these apps. So if you go on Podcast Addict and hit that plus sign and search for Into the Netherverse, you'll find it. Now, I'm going to get very real here. Um, it took a lot of emotional guts and mindset for me to get this podcast done because I have really high anxiety issues and I don't like being in front of a camera even though I love filming things I don't and I also love doing video and audio production but the thing is, is that I am deathly afraid of being in front of cameras and deathly afraid of being on a microphone in front of large groups of people even if they aren't even listening to us live um I've always had this issue and I've always listened to podcasts and always had these daydreams of doing it and the thing that really pushed me over the edge to commit to this was well when the coronavirus hit it locked us all in our homes and I had a lot of time to sit around and do nothing and I was I like to think of myself as someone who is creative I'm not like a creative genius but I like to think myself as somebody who can use a bit of imagination or creativity and make some cool stuff or make what I think is cool stuff to you probably isn't but to me it is but I had this heavy weight of anxiety preventing me from doing it because i it's not that i don't want to fail it's just that there are two podcasts i want to give a big shout out to because i listened to them religiously for the last year and and they really kind of set the tone of how i wanted to, of what i should do and how i can overcome my stuff and the first one is the great group of canadians up in newfoundland they're called the Sea word they're a conspiracy podcast and they do All sorts of conspiracies, ranging from Jeffrey Epstein to the Moon Landing Hoax to MKUltra to Halloween and Paranormal Things. They talk about the Amityville Horror House once in a while. and uh, It's just a great all-around podcast, and I'm giving them a shout-out, not because I want to plug their stuff. Well, hell, I'm going to plug anyways, because they're fucking great guys. They got me going with the creative side of my podcast and jump-started the whole thing for me. And you go out there and look for them. It's called The C-Word. They're a great group of guys. And the other podcast which I did discover before the C word, but got me scientifically interested in the world again, is called the Brothers of the Serpent podcast. Now, they delve into science and stuff about ancient pyramids and the Younger Dryas impact theory and all sorts of stuff that is not conventional to today's standard model of science, but it's not a conspiracy theory either. It's well-documented information, but the mainstream culture of science does not want to believe in or even entertain. And it's two brothers, Kyle and Russ, and they sit there, and they discuss all these things and they will talk about, like I said, the pyramids, the Younger Dryas Impact Theory. Or they'll talk about, you know, the mystics. You know, like, they, like one episode they have the book Gods of Eden and it's a five-part series. You should go check it out. And what's great about their podcast as well is they have a third character where they call the Watcher who will sit there and verify the information they're talking about. And ensure that they talk about the correct thing. And if they misinterpret something or they miss label something the watcher will correct them and it's an all-around great podcast because they don't sit there and just speculate they delve into it and tear the whole subject apart and make it easy for me to understand and it would make it easy for anybody to understand as well and like I said both those podcasts help me re-love science and the paranormal all over again and that's the reason why this podcast is here is I would have done it eventually but what really kickstarted it was both those podcasts. And I can't thank those guys enough. They're, they're a great group of individuals. And like I said, go check them out. The C word and the brothers of the serpent podcast. Anyways, that's it for my podcast. Like I said, Oh, my email is into the netherverse at gmail.com. So if you want to email me, you can email me there, or you can, you can direct message me through my Twitter handle at the ferryman at into the netherverse. Anyways, that does it for my podcast. Thanks for stopping by and listening to it. I know it's the first podcast, and I and I promise you, it's going to get better. Email me for suggestions, and, or to give me suggestions on how I could do things better, or if I made any errors, so I you can I can be corrected. Also, not right now, but in the future, I will hope to start up a Patreon. But the thing is that I really just uh, I'm doing this for shits and giggles. And I just want to have fun. So if you guys have any ideas of what I could talk about next, send me that email, and I will do it, and I will look into it. And if you want to tell a story through written text or if you want to be on the show and talk about it, get a hold of me and we'll we'll arrange that for you. Anyways, you guys stay good and don't do anything that I wouldn't do. And always keep your head in the swivel. See you next time.